Hey folks, welcome to episode 234 of the FLW podcast in Shaftesbury, Vermont. I'm Jody White, joined, as always, from Waconia, Minnesota, by Kyle Wood. Yeah, changing it up a little bit. Well, you're doing the episode from your house this morning, because one, I want to go fishing, and two, you've already <laughs> been fishing. So yeah. it's kind of like we're really squeezing this in. Folks should, I would say, know how much of a hardship this is for us. <laughs> it, it, is, it is. Well, we originally were going to do it like super early in the morning, uh, yeah. which I was totally down for. But then uh, we kind of changed that last night. I got up, went fishing for a few hours this morning, and had to leave them biting to come back and do this. Uh, I guess in theory, I probably could have done it from the boat, though I don't know how well the little wireless card things do for like Skyping and all that. This was just a safer bet. They they do okay, but I'm going to be honest. I could have just called your cell phone, and you could have just talked that way. Like, I, I mean, could have, have had to like remember some things. But. We would have sold our viewers short. Uh, you know, now they can have better audio. Yeah. And more of your dulcet tones. Yeah, you might get a Sue's bark now. Uh, we don't know. I'm pretty excited for that potential. Though she did just leave when we started talking, so maybe she doesn't. Maybe she doesn't want to hear us talk about fishing. Sue's come back. <laughs> she could just be going to find uh, a tennis ball or something. So she might be back here in a minute. All right, excellent. Well, anyway, we have I would expect an excellent show uh, because we get to talk about Lake Champlain. Um, first up, I'm going to talk with Kurt Dove about just stuff. Um, haven't done the interview yet. I'm going to do it about five minutes after you and I get done talking. Um, nice. Then uh, we're going to talk about ICAST. Then we're going to talk about Champlain, because there's a Coast FLW Series Derby coming up there. And uh, then, excuse me, then we'll talk about some BFL Derbies. I love it. All right. Well, in that case, here's Kurt Dove. All righty. And we are now joined by Kurt Dove. Uh, Kurt is fishing his fourth year on tour. Well, just wrapped it up, really, and finally qualified for the Forestwood Cup. Uh, Kurt, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Hey, you bet, Jody. I'm I'm super happy to be here. Glad that uh, I get a chance to be on FLW podcast. So it's uh, I love I love the podcast world, and uh, being a part of you guys is uh, no doubt something I've been looking forward to. So I appreciate you having me as well. All righty. Well, I want to. I guess I want to go ahead and I know we're going to talk about iCast some because it just happened and I want your opinions on trolling motors because that's like a key iCast thing that I need to talk about but I want to talk about the season that was first because like okay we're here for the real fishing um and uh you had a really really good season uh you finished 34th like you know that's I mean that's solid you basically had two bad tournaments and then did really good everywhere else um so what what was how did you feel about your season as a whole? I mean, you made the cup, so I guess that's a success, right? Hundred and ten percent. Hundred and ten percent. That's a, that's always a success. It, my first cup. So uh as you mentioned, you know, I've been fishing the tour for four years and uh so it's it's finally kinda get that, you know, knocked off my back, you know, it's kinda been riding around on me for a long time in, in my career and uh so to be able to qualify for the for the championship is definitely really exciting. It's it was a good, it was a good year. Like, like you said, cashed five out of seven events. Um, you know, so, so from that perspective and a financial perspective, it was good. My performance was, uh, 
pretty steady. You know, even even some of the events, uh, the two events that I didn't do that well in, um, they were they were tough events to uh kind of overcome some of the obstacles that were presented to the anglers out there of course grand lake uh was one of them and and, and i love to talk about good events but i really like to talk about the, the tough ones because that's where you learn some things and, and where you become a better angler so those two tough events was grand and cherokee and uh grand lake of course it was tough to get um consistent bites you know you yeah at a few all. bites there in practice yeah yeah keeper bites yeah that that's exactly right. You know, we had uh, we had some tough overall lake conditions. We had some dirty water conditions. We had uh, those dirty water conditions kind of uh, flaring up throughout the lake as it went on. I actually got on a great uh, jerk bait bite down lake. Uh, I believe it was the second day of practice. Really thought I had something dialed in. Then, as bass fishing, we all know goes, it uh, it changed up on me. It was tough to tough to kind of move around a little bit and change i managed to kind of stay in contact the first day i had three fish i was in the 60s but the second day man i i laid the big goose egg and and caught several fish that day just didn't come across a few keepers and lost one fish and really thought at that point in, in the season i was like man i some way i've got to catch enough fish somewhere else to to overcome that lost fish because it probably you know you know one fish a three three or four pounder there at grand lake was worth you know 30 or 40 places so uh anyway that was that was a good event overall just as far as having a good day one day and then having a you know kind of being able to overcome later on that that bad day on day two and then of course we went to cherokee and uh you know everybody everybody had 10 something <laughs> you know 10 11 pounds was par for the course and then if you could get up in that 13 and a half to 14 range you were really you know kind of doing better than average of the field and uh then i lost a few key fish um you know again it was it was a, almost the same scenario as grand the first day in in the 60 range you know a little bit better than most but not not as good as the best and and then uh the second day just, you know didn't didn't come away with that you know better pound average per fish that was available there at Cherokee. Did you but, uh, miss thankfully, that? Thankfully, the other five events, I overcame it. <laughs> yeah. At Cherokee, did you miss that spawning smallmouth thing? Because, like, that one, was, it seemed like there. I've seen, it's been rare where we've seen a tournament where a single pattern has dominated as much as that one thing at Cherokee did. Yeah, and, and I was I did not hit it. <laughs> okay. I knew that there were some fish spawning. Um, I, I caught some fish in top water on practice, and and uh, typically in a smallmouth situation, specifically a top water bite, really shallow. If you're not catching three or four at once in the same place, that usually means they're up there on a bed. And uh, so I did, you know, able, I was able to identify that in practice, but. I never was, you know, so I started to use my eyes a little bit, and I started seeing a few largemouth here and there. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't uh -oh. seeing the smallmouth that I was really expecting to see. And uh, anyway, um, yeah, I missed that. And, uh, you know, I caught some fish on jerk bay, caught a few fish on the on the uh, Ned Rig, of course. Every, I think that was like the Ned Rig show. You know, it's like almost the coming out party. It was so many guys catch them on ned rig out there but uh but yeah you know you don't always hit it and, and that's the fun thing about being able to you know to watch flw coverage right you know you guys do such a great job in the media if you don't hit it 
where you need to be or you're just off slightly, you can watch live. You can read the, the articles, the top 10 patterns, and, and uh, learn from those things. That's, that's one thing we get on a national tour level that uh, the local anglers fishing the weekend events don't really get. You know, they, they go back and read and, and somebody, you know, writes a paragraph about the tournament, and it doesn't really dive into what the patterns were or several of the pattern, patterns were. So fishing national events were actually able to uh, you know, learn even that much more because of the great media cover. So props to you guys and what, what, what all you can do at FLW. And, uh, it helps us become better anglers, honestly. <laughs> yeah. It, that's definitely a good point. Cause it's pretty easy to figure out where you went wrong. Um, maybe not figure out where you went wrong. Cause it can be, I have a hard time post tournament sometimes deciding, well, obviously, you know, you can say, well, that didn't go well. But what exactly was it? And a lot of times it was a multiple of things. But, yeah. you know, it's definitely easy to see the different routes that you could have taken. Um, especially when sure. you're watching live and you're watching Gray Buck catch a smallmouth on, like, every cast <laughs> on a Ned rig as he <laughs> just goes up along right. the bank. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Exactly. So that's, pace, pace of fishing is such a big deal, Jerry. I mean, you know, a lot of people talk about techniques and patterns and different things, but, uh, you know, different guys excel during different events with just a pace. A pace can be such an important factor in how successful we are, whether it's, you know, fishing very fast, burning up the trolling on banks like like we saw last year at the at the Cup at Watchtaw or, or, you know, those those events like Cherokee where we just kind of saw – saw anglers kind of crawl down the banks and crawl their lures really slow and, and that was the key aspect and, and i think part of that too was also you know part of my misfortune is not slowing down enough in that cherokee event but uh, i think overall from a educational standpoint of what you know watching fishing is pace is something that's not talked about a whole lot but can be really critical on success rate of an angler and in, a, in an event and in, in the techniques and process they're using to be able to catch their fish yeah, you know that's a good one because honestly, I feel like you hear about it a lot when it's at the extremes. If someone's fishing super slow, or if someone's fishing super fast, like back in the day right. when Brian Thrift used to literally run and gun, which he barely ever does anymore. Um, right. And he would fish a hundred docks in an hour. Maybe that's not that's a bit of an exaggeration, but you know, right, right. it seemed that way. <laughs> you could sit and you could wonder at that, or you can watch Larry Nixon like drag a Carolina rig on Chickamauga and do it like dead slow. Um, right. And, and then you've got that whole in between and it's not that it's not important. It's just harder for someone to differentiate. You bet. You bet. It's, it's, uh, it's an important factor in the game and, and something that just as important as maybe switching baits or techniques or, or, or lure color is, is changing your pace can can be advantageous for sure whether it's faster or slower absolutely well you were one of the last folks in the cup this year um you know you finished 34th in points which is it you're making it you're in and that's great but you also i don't i can't imagine at champlain you were like all right i'm in this is no problem i just need to catch a few fish you know you you had to do well you know you yeah, that was critical. So was there a point in the season and it could have been you caught your uh, you caught your fourth fish uh, at Chickamauga on day two and it was a four pounder or it could be anywhere. 
where you had sort of like a, a moment where you knew where you locked yourself in like looking back like I needed this to happen to make the cup because I'm sure right. there were a lot of those but yes, anything yes, that just kind of sticks out I think there was two 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 points in the season that stuck out for me um, not knowing how important this was early in the year we were at Seminole and I uh, had a very tough practice uh, um, I was catching a fish here and there but you know not near the quality you know you need in a in a southeastern fishery like Seminole um, you know obviously some of Georgia Florida line but it fishes so much uh, like a Florida lake it's got lots of vegetation and lots of biggins <laughs> so yeah. so you know you need to catch you know uh, you know some five plus pounders and um, anyway I had a tough practice uh, bailed on everything uh, talked to a buddy of mine Tyler Wolcott who had had some college success out there on Lake Seminole and I told him I had a really tough practice and, and even the guys in my house I room with Brad Hallman and and Brian Schmidt and we all had a tough practice Brian Schmidt had a few bites here and there he thought he could capitalize on so anyway long story short is I went over to Fairchild over on the Chattahoochee side and I dropped my shoulder and I didn't pick it up until it was time to come back in and I weighed in 20 pounds the first day and uh that was uh Rob Kilby did really well actually over there in the event I didn't even know he was in there until day three as I'm driving home or excuse me I guess it was day four as I was driving home because I actually made the day three cut in that event but uh that that day um just kind of not worrying about uh, anything that had happened in practice and just kind of going and fishing a new area. And, and my whole motto this year has been trust the process. It's been kind of like my little motto to myself when I'm launching in the morning or, or as I'm fishing along, if I'm not getting bites, being able to, uh, you know, make some adjustments is, is just trust the process, which which basically to me means trust my experience. You know, I've, I've been doing this a decent amount of time now, uh, 10 plus years or right at over 10 years. And, um, you know, just being able to trust my experiences has been part of that. And so that's kind of what I did that day. And that, that excelled me into a, a good event, which, which was from a very, very tough practice. So that was really important. Yeah, no, that was, that's key. That was, yeah, that was, that was huge. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we didn't, I didn't know how big that was going to be, you know, when I'm, when I'm standing on the dock day one at Champlain trying to make the cup, you didn't know how big a day that was until, until you get to the end of the season. And uh, what what got me into striking, going into Champlain, I was 50th place in the points. So um, certainly didn't feel like, you know, I, I knew I had to catch him there. Yeah. Felt like I needed a 40th place or plus finish. Um, you know, I'm crazy on the math and kind of figuring everything out and where everybody needs to be. I felt like if I finished 40th or plus, I was pretty much guaranteed I was going to get in. So long story short is the – other key moment was at Chickamauga. I had two tough tournaments in a row, Cherokee and Grand. We go to Chick, and you know I know that I've got to I've got to have a decent tournament to put myself in good striking distance going into Champlain, which I've had experience there in the past, and and uh, was really looking forward to being there. So I go the first day, have a decent bag. I'm fishing up the river. A lot of people catching quality fish up the river. And uh, I probably have, you know, 13 and a half, 14 pounds, which is not good. I know I'm one bite away from a better than average bag. 
and I run down just below the the uh, landing there that we put in around Dayton area and went to a creek just below on the main river. And I go in the back and I see some great cover and I'm chucking around a soft stick bait and I catch a four and a half pounder. And I I know at that point that was a critical fish in that tournament, which overall obviously was a super critical fish for the year. And it's amazing how, you you know, every year you kind of talk to some anglers. I've heard you uh, interview anglers before and kind of ask the same question. And and you go back and and you really see, you know, what one decision can make a huge difference in in an angler's year. Um, After all the casts, all the decisions to stop or keep going or drop the trolling motor or pick up the trolling motor. And, uh, man, just, you know, that one or two times throughout the year when you drop it or pick it up can make a difference on, on how, how you land at the end of the year. So, uh, this year I was just lucky enough to make, uh, a few key moves and, uh, you know, kind of trust that process, which I think has been really important for, for my success this year. That's awesome. That's cool. Cause yeah, you've had a you had a really good year. What are have you been to Hamilton at all before? What what are your plans as far as practicing and like just prep for that tournament? Cause I know it's not going to be an amazing big weight tournament, but somebody's going right. to win three hundred grand, and like everybody's going right. to put their best foot forward. For sure, for sure, and and I have never been to Lake Hamilton. Um, I have had some good success in the state of Arkansas, so. Uh, state of Arkansas reminds me where I grew up in Virginia. <laughs> so, so that's, that's a positive note as far as uh, just the overall feeling as, you know, and, and confidence going into it, you know, um, anymore, I, I, you know, as many places that I've fished throughout the country and, and I've had obviously tough events and, and good events. Arkansas is one of those places where I look at, and I think that aligns with Kurt Dove. <laughs> so right. so I'm like excited it. about going there. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about going there. Um, I have never been to Lake Hamilton. Um, I've been to Ouachita, never been to Hamilton. Uh, obviously, what, what's so interesting is those fisheries are, in my research that I've done up to this point, are so different, yet they're so close. You know, they're sister yeah. lakes, just one lake, you know, Hamilton being one one lake down on the river I mean, on they're the on the same river, system. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, and and they're so different. So, um, I'm looking forward to Hamilton and the, the fact that I grew up in the D.C. area, fishing the Potomac, which has a lot of uh, a lot of people, right? And and that's what Lake Hamilton has. You know, it's got lots of docks, lots of condos, lots of seawalls. Uh, you know, lots of uh, you know what I wouldn't really call it industrial structure, but it definitely has you know the it's not as a natural environment like where I live at Lake Amistad, you know, or, yeah. you know, somewhere like we fished last year at Lake Washita. So, um, it's got, it's got lots of man-made structure. So I'm looking forward to that, being able to put that into, into play. Um, I am actually going to be going down there the last three days before the off limits begins. So I'm looking forward to getting down there, kind of seeing, I w- really, I wanted to go down there at that time to, grasp current conditions i don't think we're going to see huge changes between the last you know week or so before the off limits and and the actual tournament dates you know there could be some changes in where fish school or bait activity is is happening but i think patterns will be fairly similar um it's been hot as a dickens you know so and and that's going to continue um you know it seems like they're getting a little bit more precip precipitation down there you know as of late but um I think that uh, it's gonna 
it's going to be a great time to have some pre-practice period. I really get that. You know, the one thing I don't want to do is uh, I think some of the worst things you can do is get too many bites in pre-practice because then you're just thinking about what happened three weeks ago instead of, like I mentioned before, fishing the process or like we've heard, you know, Mike Iaconelli say in the past, fishing the moment. So you want to be sure that you're, you're, you know, fishing the process and kind of going off of experiences and what you're seeing right in front of you at that time. And uh, that's going to be important to do at the cup, especially with the four day practice period. Um, I did. I actually didn't know that. You know, my first cup. So once I got all the paperwork from it's a uh, long Bill time. Taylor and I saw we had that is a long time. It's not. Gotta, and it's not careful. that big of a lake, too. Like you've that's, got a you've got a lot of opportunity to put pressure on stuff if you want to, but also you've got a lot of opportunity to learn like a lot about these fisheries in four days. Uh, yeah, agreed. So I was excited to see the four days of practice. Um, kind of be able to, you know, keep the nerves in check, you know, um, that, that's going to be important, which, uh, I don't think that I'm going to have, you know, any kind of huge butterflies. I'm going to, I will relate it right back to Lake Champlain. I knew I had a great chance to make the, make the cup and, uh, you know, I had to, had to just relax and trust what was ahead of me. And now I'm going to do the same thing at the cup and, and, um, just, you know, feel what's going on, use my, Use my previous knowledge that I've had just in the general sense of bass fishing. Of course, use use what I, I'm able to uh, research before the event starts and uh, go for it, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about Lake Hamilton. I'm excited about my first cup experience as an angler fishing the tournament. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it for sure. Uh, and I definitely, like, we've got a good cup field this year. We've got some new faces, you know. We've got you. We've got some rookies who made it for their first time. Who, obviously, yeah. you're not a rookie. You've got quite a bit more experience and years on some of them. But you know, it's still a, it's cool to see guys fish it for their first time. And then it's cool because you've got your David Dudleys, your Scott Martins, your Brian Thrifts there too, who are always there. Um, so oh, it's yeah. gonna be a, yeah. it's gonna be a fun one. One thing we're never short of at FLW is outstanding anglers. Uh, you know, every time you look at anybody in this industry, that is, that is, man, that guy is really, really, really good. Uh, no matter what they're doing or where they're at in the career or, or what they're choosing to fish at this moment, nine out of 10 people, you point to them and say, man, that guy tore it up in FLW. Uh, FLW is the place to be where everything starts. It seems like that's where, uh, the career path begins and and that's where the career path can end if 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 any angler chooses to and and uh, that's why it's such an awesome organization i love being a part of flw and, and the whole process that they provide anglers that's where i got my start one of my first big big tournament was a bfl at uh, the potomac river in 2003 i'll never forget it it was you know some i always whenever i log into my profile to see what's going on or see everything that's happening in flw fishing uh uh, you know, I'm always reminded of that. So Dude, 18 uh, pounds, that's a big bag. Situation. <laughs> yeah, 18.10. Right, that's right. <laughs> that was, it was a good day. I've had some good days on the Potomac River. That's where I cut my teeth fishing. That's where I grew up. And uh, and I appreciate all the time I was able to spend on that river as, as a young angler. Oh, yeah. You know, you looked very young back then. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I was a long time ago, 2003. I mean, we're knocking on what, uh, geez, 17 uh, 16 years? years ago, 16 yeah, years like ago. Yeah. I'm terrible at math. It's been but... a while. It's been a while. I was, I was, I always, whenever I'm in, in line registering, 
you know, I always get out my, my SLW membership card and uh, member since 1995, if you want to put some age date on that. So uh, I don't know how many years that is. That's uh, 30. I was four then. Four years. Yeah, 34 <laughs> years. I've been a member of SLW fishing. I, I remember the first tournament I ever fished was uh, at Bugs Island in uh, Southern Virginia. It was uh, an SLW like uh, I, I'm not even exactly sure. It could have been like the very first ever tour championship. Um, but anyway, it goes way back. It was so long ago. It was, it was in 1995. That's why I signed up that year. I fished that term as a co-angler, hmm. and uh, that was my first co-angler experience. And and uh, and unfortunately, my last because back then we did the pair to pair draw and all those kinds of things. So. Uh, I didn't get the chance that a lot of anglers do these days to come up through the co-angler side, but man, that's a great way to learn how to, how to, you know, learn fisheries in your local area and, and uh, just get to know more people in the, in the fishing community at a regional level. So it's, it's an awesome program. For sure. Also, I think we did our math wrong. I think that was 24 years ago, not 34 years ago or something like that. 24. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a long time. Let's, let's, <laughs> it's a long time. Yeah, def- definitely. Um, I want to uh, I want to talk about ICAST now because uh, obviously you were down there with Hayabusa and I'm sure you have hooks to tell me about, but there's also other stuff and I'm sure you spent time walking around and uh, but why don't you just I mean I guess what's new on the hook side of things and then we'll delve into any other uh, any other stuff that comes up. Sure. Well, I, I did. I spent most of my time at ICAST in Hayabusa's booth and. Uh, I've been fortunate to be able to work with Hayabusa since 2017, so it's been uh, it's been a great three years. Uh, going this is my third year with them, and and we we have started to uh, really change some some uh, I'll, I'll say change, but add some products that are focused on the U.S. fishing market. Um, so we have some amazing products uh, with our wide gap hooks. We've always had a medium wire wide gap and a heavy heavy gauge hook wide gap on the 956 and the 959. We go by a number system. That's how we do our, our hooks at Hayabusa. And then uh, we've recently just launched the uh, Worm 114, which is a round bend offset heavy duty hook so uh, we've had the 114 uh, round bent offset hook in our stable a long time a medium wire and so now for ICAST 2019 we launched the uh, heavy duty model we did the same thing in our drop shot hook so we've had a we've got a great drop shot hook called the DSR 132 and uh, now we've got the DSR 132 HD and uh, so it's got a little bit heavier gauge wire we also made some bigger sizes all the way up to a 2.0 so we can handle you know big small mouth goby style baits or even bigger worms that will drop shot for large mouth um so those are two new products that we came out with um and then we of course the ned craze right <laughs> the ned craze is uh it's a it's thing amazing <laughs> it's it, a it, thing it is just it is definitely a thing so we came out with some, a bigger size hook for our ned rig uh uh model it's called a brush easy is what our model is and that's actually what you referred to earlier gray buck over there at cherokee he finished second place on the brush easy size one hook with the uh, 120 i think it was the 113th weight size that he used there and it's funny how these ned rigs they, they have oddball sizes you know one fifth one tenth one thirteenth one twenty it's so weird it's how like we started doing that <laughs> i don't yeah, get it i'm not sure how that started but yeah that is a 
<laughs> it's a wild deal. So with uh, our new 1.0, um, we're trying to we're trying to refocus. We've got the uh, 116th and we've got the 110th. And so the 110th is our heaviest model in, in the uh, 1.0, which is great. Now we can really use them in those windy conditions and, and uh, have that bigger size hook. It's got a dual mono weed guard, which is something nobody else has out there. So uh, it's got a weed guard that uh, is, in my opinion, superior to uh, other products that are out there. So make sure everybody checks that out. The final hook that we came out with is finesse swim baiting. It's going through the roof, little tiny swim baits. Um, and we came out with a 1-0 weighted swim bait hook. So you can wind those small swim baits through any kind of cover that, that that you can cast into, whether it be wood, vegetation, but having that weedless small swim bait has, has been uh, definitely been a big player. And so we've, we've continued on with that, but Hayabusa, you know, we have a full range of products. Um, you, you see it all over FLW actually. Uh, Brian Schmidt just won a BFL this past weekend up at Lake Champlain on a Hayabusa um, hook that's called the spin muscle guard. It's a small V bend hook. It's an awesome little wacky rig trickster hook. Uh, Casey Scanlon obviously won the uh, last tour event up there. He utilized a uh, uh, vibrating jig for a lot of his fish, but anytime he was throwing plastics, uh, he was throwing, you know, soft stick bait and a tube periodically throughout the event using Hibusa FPP straight and the uh, one I mentioned earlier, the uh, wide gap 959. So uh, we got all kinds of great products. I encourage everybody to check them out. We are the number one bass fishing hook sold in Japan. That's that's the number one key that tells you how, how high quality Hibusa is. And we have some some awesome attributes like a fluorine coating on our hooks that help the hook uh, release from the plastic and penetrate better into the fish. And most of all our hooks are technique-specific products. So we're engineering these hooks for the techniques that the anglers are using so they perform the absolute best possible. So uh, that's what's new in the Hayabusa world, man. I'm proud of, proud to be associated with that company. And uh, Hayabusa is uh, making a step in, in the right direction, and we're excited to gain some market share in the in the fishing world, spe- specifically the bass fishing world. The uh, what's so the little uh, swim bait hook again? Which one is that called? Yes, yes, that's the uh, nine fifty eight weighted. Okay. So it's a WRM nine fifty eight weighted, and it's a one zero hook. It, you know, so we so talked a like little the, bit it'd about. It'd be like the, the nine fifty. You said 958. It's, oh, I'm looking at it right yeah, here. Never mind. Just, I'm. I was looking on yeah. your, the uh, your Instagram because I was like, I don't think these are on Tackle Warehouse yet. And so I like scrolling around. I'm like, okay, this is this is it. Um, yep. Cool. And we just we, they should be all available at Tackle Warehouse very soon. We just received our purchase order for all the products. So if if they're not up yet, they will be in the next couple weeks. So um, I know that uh, those guys are slammed with new products this time of year and uh and so uh but but it'll get up there the next couple of weeks and people can log on and and um get some hooks delivered right to their house no no easier place than tackle warehouse right Jody? <laughs> no i mean i spent a lot of money on there uh the, <laughs> i know um that fpp i hadn't used it before and i used it during day five uh because i was just fishing behind them when uh Rob was in, the, when Rob was right. in the boat filming, and he didn't need me to drive the camera boat. And oh, gotcha. uh, I, I became a fan of that hook on day five, uh, for sure. Good. Uh, so all, all yeah, went well. The, 
the FPP straight, just just so all the listeners know. I mean, Jody, you've seen it, you fished it, but uh, it's got a monofilament bait keeper, and um, it has pliability, meaning it's slightly flexible, so it doesn't uh, rip your through your plastics all the time. It has the pliability also to give the plastic the natural pliability it should have on a hook, whereas a lot of uh, a lot of bait keepers on flipping straight shank style hooks are rigid, right? So um, they tend to tear the plastics up really easily, and, and ours having that monofilament looped bait keeper makes it pliable. And a lot of the straight shank straight shank hooks are really thick hooks. Um, at, at Hayabusa, we're trying to make sure that we get a good hook set, and, and um, it's not always uh, with the thickest diameter hook in the world makes the greatest hook set. You know, if you can combine a, a, the right gauge hook wire with the uh, right technique, that's when the angler is going to be most successful and lose less fish. And so that's what we try to do. And all that being said, we do, I'll give you everybody a little, in uh, 2020, January of 2020, Hibusa will be releasing a FPP straight series heavy duty model so uh we'll, we'll have the uh, best of both worlds for any angler of what they're looking for out there and what technique specific properties they're they're trying to fish and uh so you'll have an fpp straight for uh every facet of fishing you come across and we're going to in- introduce a larger size all the way up to a 6.0 so you want to you want to start flipping some of the magnum magnum big baits uh you'll have that available through uh Hibusa as well all right. That current FPP straight, I think I've only flipped it on fluoro. Is that a hook that you will flip on 65-pound braid with a one-ounce, or do you feel like that is asking it to do a little too much? Um, so, depending on the size model that you're using, if you are using FPP straight 4.0 or 5.0, um, it will withstand the impact of 65 pound braid and hyacinth mats, grass mats, Kissimmee grass, uh, hydrilla. You know, you can you can bomb it in any of those those things with your one one and a half ounce weight and come out with the bass. Uh, you, you'll be really happy with it. You start getting down to three o, two o, and one o model. Um, actually, the three o model we recommend. We actually one thing Hibus is doing is recommending pound test size for for hook models as well, just so you know what what pound test is best for those properties and 3.0 is recommended up to a 16 pound test the 2.0 and 1.0 are recommended i want to say you know 12 and 14 pound test um actually casey is interesting note casey's probably favorite hook in the hayabusa lineup is the spp straight 1.0 and uh, he uses that hook for drop shotting uh, kind of power shotting and, and uh, you know, you know, getting some of those uh, kind of similar to what Brad Knight did back at the uh, Watch Talk Cup, you know, several years ago, how he was kind of power shotting the laydowns in a couple creeks and walked away with a few hundred thousand bucks doing that. That's that's uh, a great technique to utilize with the FPP straight smaller hooks like the 2.0 and the 1.0. So, uh, Skylar Hamilton, also a huge, huge fan of, of that style of fishing and, and that those hooks in particular. Probably some of the only hooks on the market that really apply to, to that technique effectively. Cool, cool, cool. Well, that's interesting to know that you've got that kind of spectrum there. And then I guess when you introduce that heavier FPP, that'll be if you want a 3 out and you want to punch it and you really want yeah, to use heavy braid, that's your hook. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's correct. You got right, it. Cool. You got it. And then, and those are some of the gaps that we've seen in our lineup. You know, coming from the JDM market. You know, because yeah. um, well, like Ibusa, a BB Cricket is, you know, that's a three out or two out hook, right? Perfect case and, scenario. Yes. And there correct. you go. There's your Florida situation in the winter when it's cold. You got it. You got it. So we'll, we'll be ready for that January 2020. So we're, cool. we're excited for it. Cool, cool. Is there anything else you saw at ICAST that really tripped your trigger that made you say, well, hey, I want to throw that or I want to put this on my boat? Um, you know, whether it's and I don't I don't need a trolling motor opinion if you don't feel like you have one right now or don't necessarily want to lean hard on that. I'm I'm happy either way. <laughs> but, uh, well, you know, there's, uh, there's the a lot of stuff there. there. <laughs> There, there was a lot of stuff at ICAST, but the, I would say no question the buzz of the trolling motor world was the uh, – that was the headliners, you know, yeah. no, no doubt. You got uh, Motor Guide coming out with their new tour, Pro Tour Motor. Um, I actually saw a video, and I, I've done some my own research and looking at everything. I saw a video Shaw Grigsby did on that. I saw the uh, Garmin trolling motor, saw Luke Duncan spinning around in a pond with that and uh, kind of showing everybody what was going. And then, of course, the Lowrance Ghost uh, with their trolling motor. Now, I, I actually got to spend some time up on the tank um, at ICAST working the Lowrance uh, Ghost trolling motor. And um, I, I think with you know and it'd be absurd if we didn't mention the Minkota Ultrax, right i mean that's kind of what fueled the fire for all of these uh innovations would you agree <laughs> yeah that's the thing like you know a few years ago it we went from a trolling we went from yeah the Fortrex was like kind of the trolling motor you wanted to all of a sudden everybody was going to buy an Altrex. And, like, we ne we probably never... There's probably never been a point, and maybe there never will be, where more people had pretty good, actually working old trolling motors on boats and sold yeah. them yeah. to get an Altrex. You know, the number of Fortrexes yeah. and motor guides that were functioning and got taken right. off bass boats was amazing. And so... It was... I... It's hard for me to see that a lot of people will go out and replace Ultrexes right now, you know? But now you've got options, which is kind of fun. You do have options. The cool thing about what, what Lawrence has done, and, and uh, you know, I know L the Lawrence product a little bit better than I do any of the other products out there other than running the, the Ultrex on my current boat. And um, the brushless system, you don't, you don't understand, I say you meaning us as consumers, we, we don't understand the difference of quiet, how much quieter that is, the, the non-brush, which is the Lawrence and Garmin options that, that are out there right now, the non-brush compared to the brush. Also, the turning mechanisms. I remember a conversation I had with an angler um, last year when they first put uh, a new Ultrex on their boat was, you know, they were kind of worried about the uh, sound of the trolling motor when it, you know, moved left to right. Cause they're a, a big time shallow water angler. Um, and, and I don't think it made a huge effect, but I think there's some possibility that, that, you know, obviously it's creating a little bit more noise, but now with the, uh, Lawrence ghost, it is literally a ghost. <laughs> I mean, you, when you go left to right, you hear absolutely nothing. When you stomp on the pedal, the trolling motor makes no noise. When you go to lift it, it has the, uh, 
you know, correction where it's going to automatically go into place where it's going to set flat on your bracket. Um, so, the, you know, also I, I got to say, even with, you know, those kinds of small innovations, making it so much easier, they've, they've taken things into, you know, so much more, you know, to have a little place where your cord, you know, will hitch onto on the head of the trolling motor. So it's really easily, you know, lifted with the, with the, um, with the cord, you know, to, to deploy or stow the trolling motor. And, um, man, it just seems like they've, they've really dive, dove, dove into a lot of small attributes that, uh, have kind of, you know, been nuances of of past motors so we're definitely in the trolling motor world and bass fishing um we moved a big step from what we had to the all tracks and now we're taking that step and making another big move to to what these trolling motors are providing today so uh, and and even motor guide takes the stance of hey look we we like our cable driven stuff uh we think some of you like cable driven stuff and so we're going to keep a cable driven trolling motor out here on the market and, and, and adjust, you know, and make yeah. some other things. And I think about the motor guide one is more affordable too, if I am yes, correct in that. that. Correct. Which, that, like, I would have loved to see all of these new trolling motors be less expensive than the Ultrex. That would be my dream. Because yeah. then I would say, hey, maybe that means the Ultrex is going to be less expensive. Because, but, right, and right. that's not the case, but I think that it's important that you could still have. You can now get spot lock for like under three grand, I think, when you yes. if from the motor guide one, if I'm correct. And like that's that's kind of kind of sweet because trolling motors uh, are pretty expensive, especially if you want to buy the high end ones. Hey, look, when we it used to be eight hundred dollars was standard for a trolling motor five years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, now the standard of trolling motor cost has become three thousand uh, dollars. Quite frankly, you can you can find some that are less expensive, uh, more affordable. Um, like you were talking about, I, I, I agree with you. I, you know, everything I've seen with the uh, motor guide is is going to be a little bit more affordable. The, the other three models, um, they, they sit at three, um, they're proud of three grand and, and they, they have a lot of technology is the reason why it costs three grand. So it's, it's not a big uh, mystery of, okay, how did this increase by, you know, $2,000? Um, you know, you start looking at the things that they applied to these products and, uh, the innovations that were, you know, contributed to do these products, uh, it's it's cool stuff, man. If if you feel like it's something you need, it's there for you. If not, you've got other options. So it's it's good for everybody. It's good, great for the whole industry. I'm always a huge advocate. If somebody comes out with something new, whether it's a new motor, a new rod, a new reel, a new lure, um, it pushes some a new hook, right? I mean, it pushes somebody else to make a better better product. I love being a part of that with Hayabusa and making the, you know, excelling, making the best products possible. And I know, you know, a company like Lawrence or Garmin, Minkota, Motor Guide, they all look forward to doing the same thing because they just want to give the anglers the best possible uh, scenario they can have to catch more fish. Because, you know, quite frankly, from a competitor standpoint, if you're in this game to, to um, catch the most fish, to make cups, um, make championships. We need those products, and and they do make huge differences. So it's uh it's awesome, for sure. I want to ask one question, and maybe this is 
you might not have spent enough time with these things to really have a vibe, but the 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 brushless trolling motors are kind of a they're a new thing. You know, historically, trolling motors are made, I guess, with brushes. I'm not an expert enough to know exactly how. I know the differences are that you they are a lot quieter, and they these ones with, that are brushes are definitely faster. But in your mind, is that technology? good enough that you'd say that you would say to a consumer go ahead pop it on there you're not going to have any regrets or is this a situation where you should say maybe let the pros run it for a year because and then see what's going on because a trolling motor is a long-term investment more so than yeah almost anything other than the boat that you're putting it on so my advice my my the conservative person me which I'm a pretty conservative guy the, my advice would be you know watch what's happening out there in the field you, you know basically Lawrence and specifically has you know about 50 motors that they've that they've put together they've put in the field and they've run rigorous tests through they've run rigorous tests through you know what what they've called their torture chamber they're at their headquarters in Tulsa um, anglers have been running them since you know April time frame um, so so they've been put through some tests but the difference is yeah you've got 50 motors that you put together now you're going into production motors right yeah. and there are things that that you know when you make 50 versus you make 5,000 it's a totally different it's it's a different game you're putting together the same piece but uh, there's there's no doubt always a situation. I don't care what product it is in the universe that once you put them all out there, you're gonna find some additional quirks or you know a hiccup here and there. I believe that they've done their testing uh, more than most have in the past. I will say that. So uh, I'm not gonna be afraid to run one. Um, you're probably, you're probably going to see a Lawrence ghost on the front of my boat in 2020. <laughs> um, and you know, from a consumer's perspective, it's always good to keep an eye out, you know, what, what's been going on, how long have they been using them? Have there been any, you know, reliability issues? What, what are some of the quirks been, have those quirks been, been uh, addressed, you know? And, uh, I know from a, from a perspective of Lawrence, um, you know, they're always, I mean, you look at their graphs, I mean, constantly improving constantly. If they have a, if they have a quirk, if, if I remember several years ago, they had some issues with some uh, condensation in, in some new units and, uh, you know, they fix that really quickly, you know? So anything that, that they do have any issues with, you know, that they're going to fix it quickly and they're going to take care of the customers that, uh, that have purchased their products. So, um, from the standpoint of technology and then what happens a year or so or two years after the pros run them, they're always going to be better, right, Jody? I mean, they're, yeah. once, once you put the test on the production models, you're, you know, it's, it's part of life. You know, nothing comes out squeaky clean right out of the gate. And uh, so, you know, you kind of, you kind of pick up uh, some of the parts that, that need to be improved on, you improve on them, and, and we're always going to be getting better no matter kind of no matter what product it is in the industry or or in the world for that matter (laughs) for sure this is another this is a question and if you don't know the answer to this that's totally fine but so lawrence essentially they come out with a new graph almost every year or thereabouts you know we've gone uh, hds gen 3 carbon 
live like really quickly recently. Yes. Do you know yes. what the schedule is for trolling motors? Because the uh, Ultrex really hasn't changed. You can now get them with mega transducers in it. Um, and that's, right. I guess, been, what, two, three years now? Uh, is Do you think, in, or do you know, if is it going to be every year, every three years, where you see a, uh, quote, new model of uh, trolling yeah, motor? Yeah. What's the vibe? So I wouldn't be able to address that. Um, okay. I, that's I totally really fair. Know what <laughs> you know, I, know. I, I didn't know yeah, if you yeah. knew or not. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't. What I do know is that they have plug-and-play transducers on these trolling motors. Um, so if you want an HDI or you want, you know, 3D side scan, the, the, you don't have to change your trolling motor and your clasp that's holding it on the motor and the wires that are through, um, you know, your, your motor and into your, into your unit. Now it's just simply changing out the transducer on the cone of the trolling motor, and it's literally you plug it in right there with like a two-inch wire right, that stuffs into the cone of the trolling motor, and, and you're done. So if there's advancements on, you know, graphs and electronics, transducers, those kinds of things, it's not going to affect what they have created with this ghost, you know, the trolling motor. So uh, that, that's one thing that can be looked upon as a great advancement as far as not having to worry about you know, changing all these things out uh, moving forward. It's going to be a simple plug-and-play situation on new units or new transducer technology that they're able to provide to consumers. And and really what I believe from my personal perspective is as new technology comes out and as they perfect that new technology to place it in the uh, consumer's hands and add it to their units, they're doing the best that that they can do for all of us and that's give us the latest technology as soon as possible and and ultimately that's what we want does that mean you got to upgrade your units every year heck no it doesn't i mean i'm running carbons <laughs> I, I ran carbons this year so uh i had my familiarity with the carbons i got a i got a late start on a couple things and i said hey you know what i love these units these are great units um, I'm not ready, you know, at that particular moment, the live transducer wasn't ready to be attached. And, uh, so I could just go ahead and, and, uh, not worry about the live scope and just run the carbons. And so that's what I've done, but you can rest assured guarantee that in the next couple, couple months, when I get that new boat, I'll definitely be having the HDS lives with all of the new awesome technology along with the new ghost trolling motor. So I'm excited about it. righty. Well, uh, Tell you what, man, I, it's been a, a pleasure having you on, and I really super appreciate it. Uh, we definitely talked longer than I said we would, but that's not, uh, that's I don't mind wild, that. Man. I love, I, I could chat all day. Um, <laughs> but uh, I guess, is there anything you want to plug or any places we want to find you, whether it's on Instagram or YouTube or wherever, uh, before I let you go? Yeah, so de definitely trying to, trying to, you know, do more YouTube. I think that's probably one of the greatest things that came out of the new FLW rule this year with the POV cameras uh, on the boats is that uh, a lot of guys got some great YouTube channels going on with uh, FLW fishing. And uh, I'm one of those guys. You can just look it up. It's Kurt Dove fishing. You can check it out on YouTube and uh, subscribe to that. I also post some clips of those on my Instagram site, which is Kurt fishing. Um, those are probably the most prominent ways to get a hold of me. I do have Facebook and Twitter as well. So just a quick search of Kirk Dove Fishing. I'm going to pop up anywhere like that. 
But uh, I would just encourage every angler out there listening to this podcast to check out all the FLW Tour anglers that have new YouTube channels. I have a great time watching them. They're super entertaining and educational. So uh, they're, they're a lot of fun to watch. Make sure everybody checks those out. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to having my whole YouTube thing going on at the Cup. So if there's a reason to get on there and subscribe right now to both my Instagram and YouTube and Facebook is uh, follow along at the Cup, man. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. We're going to put some practice info up there and, and uh, of course, following along during the tournament. So um, it's going to be a lot, lot, of, lot going on down at Lake Hamilton in Hot Springs in the first week of August. And uh, just encourage everybody to tune in. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck in your first little exploits down at Hamilton. And I'll see you in uh, not too long in Arkansas. Thanks, Jody. Hopefully we'll do this again soon. Take care. Okay, Kyle. Um, the first topic is ICAST. You were at ICAST. I fished during most of ICAST. <laughs> yeah, you said. Uh, so uh, also, tell me, uh, so tell me about ICAST, I suppose. I mean, it was, uh, I think by now everyone kind of knows that, like, the trolling motors were the big talk of the town. Um, and I guess for pretty good reason, you know. I, I feel like maybe it's just that I've been to enough ICAST that, you know, I'm a little, like, jaded by stuff. Like, okay, a new reel with some ball bearings, or it's like a carbon fiber handle, or here's a new model of crankbait that hits a different depth range or something like that. It's not all that impressive anymore. Uh, though I don't really know if I've ever been super wowed by tackle, but the trolling motors were definitely Tackle's ugly. pretty hard to wow you with. Yeah. I feel like. The trolling motors were ugly, but cool because, you know, a market that's been so lopsided for so long now has options, which is kind of weird. It'd be like if you could only buy a Ranger bass boat you know, and then all of a sudden a bunch of, you know, then Bass Cat and Bullet and all this stuff came along. And you're like, whoa, look at all these different things I can do. Kyle, um, you can only buy a Ranger Bass Boat. <laughs> this is the FLW Bass Fishing Podcast. Well, now, boy, you want to fish the tour? Come on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that was, uh, that was kind of definitely like those booths, the Lawrence booth, the Garmin booth. Um, even Not the Motor really Guide booth. booth. To uh to an extent we're uh we're pretty hopping, um, and uh they're they're kind of cool. I, I texted you a few things uh, about the Lawrence trolling motor. It really seems to me that they all kind of do the same thing, sort of. That's the vibe I'm getting. Like the Lawrence and the Garmin ones seem to be exactly the same trolling motor. Yeah, pretty much. Like they both. The cool thing about both of them is that they can run on a 24 volt or 30 volt or 36 volt system. So. Uh, I guess from Lawrence and Garmin's perspective, they don't need to carry as many skews of trolling motors like um, Minn Kota does. Which obviously would bring the price down. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as Jody chokes and dies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, that's kind of nice. Um, you could definitely tell that they're pretty heavily geared to the bass market because both of them, for the most part, are it's like a short trolling motor and a longer trolling motor. Yeah, they're not any super long deep V trolling motors. There's not, yeah. um, and not yet. I get Lawrence is going to come out with one, um, but I suppose they wanted to just kind of dive in and and uh, see where this realm takes them. Yeah, uh, which honestly it makes some sense because like if you look up north and you look at what 
these, like, if you look at what's on walleye boats, I feel like it's a lot of hummingbirds. Like, it seems like a tough market to get into. Maybe I'm totally wrong on that, but... No, I think you're right. I think it's, like, uh, especially, like, musky and walleye guys, either the Ulterra, the one that auto-stows and deploys, um, or the Tarova are kind of like the... The go-to. You see a ton of those. Yeah, because they're offered... You can get a longer shaft. Um, They still do all the other stuff that, you know, an Ultrex or now the Lawrence and Garmin do in, like, you know, you can spot lock. There's jog features. Um, You just, you know, you're not really, like, running up throwing it down you're not really trying to like precision steer as much you know it's like you're moving along contour lines and you're kind of letting your graph do all the talking i guess um i'm still kind of curious about the you know if i'm a garmin guy do i want a garmin trolling motor like how much as a bass fisherman do i care about that um yeah there's a lot of things about the trolling motors that i feel like uh, will benefit from some testing because to me, so a lot of them have like these modular transducers, I guess, be the, like in the cone of the trolling motor, like in the front, yeah. correct? Yep. yep. Can you kind of yep. explain that to me a little bit? It's basically, I guess they figured, um, you know, now like guys are throwing down imaging transducers and, you know, getting the mounting brackets or kind of jerry-rigging them on the bottom of their old trexes and you have these really expensive things that get dinged up and you can put like a transducer saver on them uh but i suppose they figured look it'll just be a lot easier if we just go ahead and make it so you can basically plug in a transducer to this thing it's shielded and there's like zero interference which is kind of cool um you can also you can swap them out or interchange them uh i guess in like if you had a so you know if, if you i have a lorance trolling motor yeah yeah that answers kind of one of the questions that we've had now granted whether you be would be able to swap it out if you had a garmin trolling motor and then bought a lorance unit that probably remains to be seen yeah i didn't really get to talk to garmin people all that much i probably talked more to the lorance people just because it, i felt like there were more people around there to like ask questions about but it sounded to me like with the Lawrence one, you could, like, if you had a Humminbird transducer, you could, like, you could fit stick it, it in, in there. there. Yeah. Hmm. So it it seems like they thought about the fact that, look, people might want to buy this trolling motor and might not buy one of our graphs. So I would kind of figure just because the Lawrence and Garmin seem pretty similar in that respect that Garmin thought of that as well. But it is kind of, like, aesthetically it looks pretty cool and clean, and I like that there'd be, you know, no interference or substantially less interference uh so that's kind of cool is that substantially less interference from that particular mounting configuration or is it because these things have brushless motors because what well i don't really understand what i think the brushless motor is quiet uh a noise thing it's not an interference thing i don't believe so okay I think it's now with the transducers basically like, if you think about it, halfway in that foot of the trolling motor, that base of the trolling motor where the prop actually sits, Mm -hmm. uh, and now you don't really have that like prop wash effect or maybe it doesn't vibrate as much to help create. I don't really know much about what causes the interference, but, you know, the... uh, 
dude yeah. said it's pretty nice. So the other thing I like about uh, Lawrence is, um, well, both the Garmin and Lawrence, uh, pretty powerful trolling motors in terms of pounds of thrust. But it sounded to me like Lawrence had, um, like they can make the same motor have more pounds of thrust. I don't know what it does like battery efficiency wise but the 36 volt right now is like 120 pounds of thrust or 120 something pounds of thrust it sounds like they have one that's 140 pounds they basically just need to change like it's like a software update or you know how like a like a 200 power head if you put a different computer chip in it it's a 225 or a 250 yep it's kind of like that but with the trolling motor so that could be kind of fun to see down the road because man if you could like right now, if these trolling motors are taking your boat, you know, four and a half miles an hour with 120 pounds of thrust, like what's it going to do with an extra 20 some pounds of thrust? Yeah. What's interesting to me is Garmin doesn't say what their pounds of thrust is. Yeah. Um, because they say everybody just makes the figure up, which is probably fair. But like, come on, guys, why don't you just make one up too? You know? Yeah. They just want to. I'm convinced that they just don't want to give pounds of thrust so that they can say that they have more that's yeah. my opinion on that one garmin i mean that that sounds sounds right um all right now the other big question i had is can you mount hummingbird 360 on all these trolling motors so what did you find out i actually never got to the bottom of that okay did you look to see if there's screw holes placed strategically uh on the base of the mounts on the front for you to plug it, in there it, it didn't look like it. Okay, so this is going to be an extreme jerry-rig situation if you want to run 360. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, unless, like, maybe when they actually go to production, they will have them. You know, like, maybe they didn't want to have it at ICAST where, you know, yeah. all their competitors are or something. I, if you're, I don't if, know. But it, if folks aren't familiar with how 360 mounts on, it's like an extra bar, essentially. And yeah. the... Minkota trolling motors have places on the bottom side of the mount, sort of, on the bottom front of it, where you can actually screw that whole arm onto it, basically. Yeah, it's kind of like where the uh, like where the breakaway part of the trolling motor is. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're uh, they're for bolts. Um, uh, not there's no nut on the back side of it, but they're. Like, for a pretty heavy-duty, thick bolt that you can screw in there. And, like, it's... It, it definitely, you know, it's going into solid metal. I mean, it's it's made to... For that effect. Also, yeah. it's actually not too terribly hard to take off. Um, because it's only, like, three or four screws. Um, but anyhow. That's the... Uh, that's the lay of the land on that. How... Mm-hmm. How... Whether anyone who buys a Garmin trolling motor is going to want to run 360 or buy a Lowrance or a motor guide trolling motor right, will want right. to run it, I guess, remains to be seen. Um, although, if these trolling motors are faster than an Ultrex, certainly you could want to run it, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I don't know. One, I saw one internet comment, and of course, this is a great basis for doing anything. So obviously <laughs> if someone is an expert on this, please email in. Um, and maybe I'll do some more research on this before just literally throwing bombs. But someone was like, someone essentially said that 
you know, brushless brushless motors wear out super fast on, uh, like power equipment for uh, for like construction stuff, like drills and things like that. Oh, sure. And so he figures, and I'm paraphrasing, but he figures that a brushless trolling motor, a brushless motor, and a trolling motor, is fated to be even more short-lived. Uh, which, oh, yeah. if that's the case, then that's an issue. Granted, we have very li- you and I have very little, unless you're an expert on this, and I'm not, to to no. know if that's the case or not. Yeah, no, I have n- no. I mean, I would assume that these guys wouldn't launch something that failed testing. You know, like they ran them in tanks for X amount of hours, and like you think if it was going to fail. Now, granted, yeah, but you granted, and I both know when you get it in the hands ago, of did people, put out a new trolling motor. And that one sucked. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> well, and it, it, it's 100% a different thing. Like, I know a lot of these companies do, you know, some pretty rigorous testing. But it's not until you actually get it in the hands of people and let them start beating it around and banging it off rocks. And, you know, it's like bouncing around in three-footers trying to hold you on a spot that I feel like you really kind of know how well it's built. So I think, like, like you said earlier, we just kind of got to see what happens when you can actually start putting them on your boats. Yeah, I, I think so. And I like you got to see what they do when they when somebody runs it in grass for most of a year, you know? Yeah, yeah. You got to we got to see all that. And I guess it'll be interesting to see. There's definitely going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of pros running them next year. I wonder how many average people will be running them because. Mm-hmm. They're expensive and unproven, and so yeah. it might, like, I feel like the Ultrix was adopted pretty quickly because it was a really definite leap forward, and it came from a company that had a pretty good track record, and yeah, yeah, these trolling motors don't have the track record. I mean, there's no doubt about it, and so it's going to be harder to just for someone to just jump in, especially when there is a cheaper option that may not be quite as good, but is an option that basically everyone was satisfied, was a hundred percent satisfied with. Yeah. Just the year before. Yeah. Um, I'm, but there's, we're definitely on 2019 or 2020, I guess it was next year, you know, on 2020 pros boats, there's going to be a bunch of them out there, which will be interesting. Like, I'm legit mm-hmm. curious to see how they last, what guys' impressions are of them. Uh, they may be, it may be mostly guys who are sponsored by them running them, so you may not get the full story necessarily. Sure, but sure. we're going to get a story. You know, something will happen, and that'll be cool to see. I wonder if we could get one from Lawrence. Well, I mean, I would like to get four trolling motors and four boats and like actually do some tests. I think it'd be really cool to uh try to figure out which one's spot lock is best, which seems like a almost Ooh. impossible task because when you consider that like I don't exactly know which one is, you know, I think they're all running off the internal GPS to the unit. So or to the uh you know, to the trolling motor, not to your head unit. Yeah, so yeah. each of those, so not only would each of those GPS pucks probably in 
in the trolling motors be variously accurate. They would also, like every trolling motor, how they process that information would be different as well. Yep. Um, like, the only downfall, there are, if you run a, an Ultrex a lot, you kind of know there's a couple of quirks about the spot lock. And one of them is that when you hit it, it tends to back you up a little bit from where you think you should be. Or at least mm-hmm. in my head. So a lot of times I'll kind of go a little farther than I want to be and then stop. And, and account for that. I yeah. Account for it, that it's going to sort of, not that it's going to drift back, but that it's where it wants to be is going to be a little bit back of where I think I want to be. Um, and that's like five feet. or It's not like a huge thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You're not talking, you know, 30 feet back. And yeah, like, and I'm not I'm talking really... like... And I'm not talking like if I fished on one spot for an hour, I would slowly drift back. If I fished on one spot for an hour, I would stay in the same spot. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that if it's totally slack, there's no current, there's no wind, spot lock is not great. It no, it yeah. kind of it wanders, and then it'll kick you back over. And maybe one of these other ones will be a lot better at that. Of course, you could argue that that's the situation where you absolutely least need spot lock. So why <laughs> yeah. bother trying to get better at that? Which is a pretty good argument if we're being honest. Um, mm-hmm. But, or I think it's a pretty good argument. I mean, I just made it, so maybe it sucks. But, you know, I, I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be cool. And I'm, I'm very eager to drive one of these trolling motors and go four miles an hour in a trolling motor yeah, with a trolling okay. motor. Cause like, that's pretty rad. Um, I'm definitely, you know, if I could go buy an Ultrex tomorrow that went four and a half miles an hour, well, I wouldn't do it, but I would like to. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, I'm definitely down for trolling motors going a lot faster. I got to think it would help in grass. Oh, for sure. So, like, and, you know, there's still probably not a perfect grass trolling motor. Like, those like grass cutter type things, they still have an application. Um, maybe yep. these four mile an hour trolling motors, you won't need that anymore. Uh, I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff we just got to see. Like we said, real world testing is what we need from people and maybe ourselves. Yeah. As a side note, um, I have come around to being used to slash not hating how the... Garmin and Lawrence ones look. I still can't get past the motor guide one. <laughs> so that's where I'm at on the visuals. Yeah. Uh non non trolling motor uh part side of iCast. Did anything excite you at all? Was there anything you were like, ooh? Um There were Man, I mean like I said, is a lot of like new lines of rods, you know, new lines of plastics. Um, I got some things. I got some things I'm interested in. Maybe not excited about. Curious about. What's that? All right. So Big Bite Baits has a worm. Uh, I bet you didn't. You didn't expect me to start there, did you? I did not see that coming. One hundred percent. Let me find my screenshot of it. All right, so they've got a worm. It's called the Tor Swim Worm. It's essentially an uh, ultra-vibe uh, speed worm. It comes in 5.5, 7.5-inch 
sizes, but it's got ribs on the front end, a la a Kitek. Oh. Um, I'm interested more in the 7.5 than the 5.5 inch size. Uh, I'd like to throw that. I'd like to see what it does. Um, anyway, that's my one really off-the-board one. <laughs> um, I am moderately interested in the spy baits. There's three of them this year. Yeah, there are some um, new spy baits. I don't think I'm super interested in that one in the deep spy bait from Duo. Uh, not because I don't think there's an application for it necessarily, but because I haven't figured out the applications for regular spy baits yet. So like, <laughs> yeah, I don't need to be, I, I don't need to take that step right now. Right. right. Um, that said, just right now, I thought of an application for it. So a lot of times, like in the winter on Dale hollow, I might throw a swim bait out pretty deep close to the bottom. What if you threw a spy bait instead? Oh, sure. Anyway. So Rob was saying he fishes them at home in like 50 feet of water, like down on the bottom. So that's why that could help him out. Yeah. So anyway, I'm interested in it. And I got to imagine it's good because it's a duo spy bait. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to see if the one from Berkeley is any good. Um, my experience with Berkeley's crankbaits has been really hit or miss. Like sometimes I get one, I'm like, oh, this is good. Sometimes I get one, I'm like, this one sucks. So <laughs> I kind of, I don't know what I want to, I don't know on that. I will say if I'm buying a cheap spy bait right now, I'm buying the Arashi, not the Berkeley. Um, yep. I'm also super curious about the Spro spy bait. I remember I talked to you about it and I thought it was a prop bait, like a topwater bait. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which shows how much research I put into it. But I'm pretty much down for John Cruz inspired baits, and I would be very, I'd like to throw that one. Definitely. And I like, it's got a swivel on the nose of the bait where you tie your line to, and it's got a swivel on the back hook, which is uh, kind of interesting. Yeah. Anything you can do on those baits to try and keep fish pinned a little bit more is mm-hmm. definitely something I'm interested about. You know yeah, that like I gotta like to feel see. like that that's gonna help for sure. Yeah, I would think. I don't know. I mean, the back hook one maybe, but like when you think about it, this is. I've been, I've been putting this through my head a little bit. You have literally like eight pound test braid to like eight pound test fluoro. <laughs> There's. If a fish wants to twist that, it ain't stopping it. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. the swivel on the front might help you out, but it's it shouldn't do anything to the fish. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. Well, and I think when it comes to keeping a pinned, uh, having the right setup is definitely clutch. Yeah, and I'm not there yet. Um, it's like fishing a crankbait, basically. You know, like, you could throw a crankbait on a flipping stick. You might not catch everything that bites. Yeah. Well, David Dudley would. Yeah, David Dudley would. Gosh, he's good. So good. FLW Tour AOI. <laughs> Four times even. Gosh, that's a lot. Um, Let's see. I want to click on this new baits article from Kurt, uh, but it's not loading for me right now. Uh, Just... You got, like, there's a bunch of Ned Rig stuff. There's the Spicy Beaver... The yeah. Spy baits you mentioned, the new um, MDJ, 
uh, Bill Lewis bait. Yeah, I'm super uh, over uh, Ned Riggs. Arashi glide bait. Yeah, no, there's nothing in other than the Arashi, which is interesting to me. But it's a glide bait, so like I don't know how interested I can be in it because I'm very bad at that. <laughs> I don't know about very bad at it, but it's not like a thing that I feel like I'm really dialed in on. Yeah. Let's put it this way. I don't think I know a lot about spy baits, but I think I know more about spy baits than I know about glide baits. <laughs> Touche. Uh, so, anyway. Uh, do you see any real any reels or like any weird things or anything else that's like, okay, this is cool? Um, there's uh, the new Daiwa Tatula. Looks pretty sweet. And the baitcaster. And uh, Shimano's got that SLX DC. Now, mm-hmm. I don't think I really have a need for a DC reel at all. Uh, but, like, the SLX came out as a price point baitcaster, you know, 100 bucks, And then they put the DC technology in it. So now it's, like, 190 bucks, And so I guess, like, it's kind of cool that they're, like making it cheaper to get a DC reel if that's the route you feel the need to go? Yeah. I think, first of all, I'll say a couple things about the DC. One, Shimano can't make enough of them. Like, they're selling them like crazy. I bet. Like, it's a legitimately hard to get reel. Um, maybe not hard to get, but, like, they're as fast as they can sell them, as fast as they can make them, they're selling them. People buy them, people like them. Um, mm-hmm. I've been using the Corrado DC some. And, yes, you can get a backlash with it, um, but it is notably easier to cast than a regular baitcaster, which is a oh, big deal okay. for someone who's just trying to start casting a baitcaster. Sure. And uh, it could be a big deal for guides who want reels on their decks that don't have, uh, that you know, who want reels so that they can hand to people and not just have them instantly blow up, that sort of thing. For sure, for sure. Um, it could be a big deal toward just onboarding someone into fishing and saying, here, try this. And mm-hmm. not being yeah. like, here, try this, let me adjust it so it's almost impossible to use, and then you make a six-foot cast with it, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. And then you blow it up. So, like, it really... It's going to make a difference, I think. I What I am... I'm surprised that another company hasn't torn it apart and come out with a DC reel. I'm not saying that every reel in the in 20 years from now is going to be a DC reel, but I think that there's a chance that, like, honestly, we could see the majority of the market 20 years from now be DC reels. Oh, yeah. Because, like, I don't think that DC mechanism is breaking on reels. I've never heard of that. I think... I think I think the stuff that breaks on reels is still the normal stuff that breaks on reels. So, mm-hmm. assuming that technology is going to keep getting cheaper, there's no reason to not to stop putting it in stuff. Is where I'm. That's where I'm at on it. That makes sense to me. So, I think it's cool. I think it's way cool. And I've got that Corrado DC and like, I mean, look, you can cast a frog on 50 pound braid about 100 miles on every reel, right? Mm-hmm. But boy, it's really nice on that DC. <laughs> like, it'll go. <laughs> Alex Davis was telling me that SLX, like he was bombing stuff around the 
that little like uh you know on the water demo pond yeah like all the guys were talking about that new uh rebo or there was a you know i saw a lot of stuff about that new uh i can't remember what it's called it's like purple and black yeah um look and I'm, how far you could cast that thing i but... want to go easy on how far things cast because i heard a lot of stories about how far that 13 fishing orange reel cast that's exactly so, where i'm going i want to just back off on <laughs> how far stuff casts that i cast well that's but otherwise like i said i wasn't like overly wowed by any of the stuff that uh came out yeah uh so that's good where I stand on that um shall we talk champlain Ooh, I think we shall. Okay. I know you're chomping at the bit to talk about it. Uh, well, I am and I'm not, because really I wish we weren't having this tournament and I was just fishing on Champlain you right can now. keep fishing, sure. Yeah. Uh, I There were two 75-boat team tournaments on the south end on Saturday, and I, I kind of found out about them too late and tried to get into them too late, and they were both full, and I was real mad about that, because hmm. I really wanted to go burn some gas and maybe win some money or maybe lose some money, but like... I went fishing on Thursday, and I, like, I toasted them pretty good is the, maybe the problem. So maybe I shouldn't have gone fishing on Saturday, but I would have <laughs> liked to have tried. <laughs> um, but, yeah, dude, Champlain is is good. Uh, I think that Ty is going to be very good for this Costa. We've got mm-hmm. one to three footers out of the south in the forecast for Friday currently, Ooh. which... Uh, Honestly, could be the kind of day that you don't go fishing on Champlain. Uh, could be the kind of day that you don't run a tie. Uh, right. But we'll see how that shakes out. Um, I think that the North End is also going to play really good. Because uh, you saw in this most recent BFL. Um, actually, this is the first. I'm going to back up one step. This is the first Northern Division event of the year. It's the Coast FLW Series. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, it's presented. The Northern Division is presented by Gajo Bates. I think we're not sure how to pronounce that. Gaujo? Maybe that. This tournament is presented by Polaris. Anyway, so Brian Schmidt won a BFL on Saturday yes, on the North did. End. Uh, he had a combo. He had smallmouth and largemouth. I think that a combo of smallmouth and largemouth is going to be a really good way to go in this BFL. Like, I think it could be a real classic Champlain. Wait, are you talking this Costa? I mean, this Costa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, I Sorry, think it could a be a real tournaments. classic Champlain North End combo tournament. And then you mix in some just straight up Thai slugfest kind of stuff. Sure. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people who are practicing for the event and thinking about the event are probably leaning towards as well. Where. It's not the, obviously it's not going to be a sight fishing tournament, and it's not going to be the kind of tournament where you just do one thing, um, yep. unless you run a tie, in which case you just do one thing. Um, but I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a good one. Um, I hope. I yeah yeah I definitely think so. The weights in the BFL were good, and yeah. and the weights in that BFL that's almost all North End weight. Because yeah. there were those two big tournaments out of Thai. Um, one was out of Port Henry, and they all would have run south. And then the other one was at Thai. And so not many people in that BFL ran south. 
and to which is not because they would know that by the time they got there, if you wanted to be on a spot to start, you probably weren't getting that spot. Mm-hmm. So I think when you open the whole lake up, especially if the weather cooperates, you're going to see weights even go up. Um, and there were plenty of guys who fished that BFL who didn't fish any of their good stuff, who if they had something good going, they weren't going to touch it because they're also fishing right. that Costa. Right. Uh, which is kind of, always kind of odd to me when we do a BFL ahead of a Costa. Because, like, man, if you're really on them, you would be so dumb to burn them up in a BFL. Right. Like, could you imagine, like, catching, like, 24 pounds day one of the B, uh, in the BFL and be like, oh, yeah, won this thing. And then <laughs> you go out and you catch, like, 20 pounds day one of the Costa. And then day two of the Costa, you catch, like, 17. And you finish, like, 10th. And you realize yeah. that if you hadn't caught those fish in that BFL, like you could have won the dang thing. I mean, mm-hmm. the difference in pay is just, it would be sickening. Unless you're so on them that Doesn't you matter. can go smash them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. On Champlain, you could be that on them. I suppose the idea that it would stay like that the whole time is probably tricky. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let, we got to pick some uh, Coast to Challenge anglers, but I want to talk a little bit about patterns before we get there. Sure. So in Schmidt's uh, win, he caught a smallmouth on top, he caught a smallmouth at random, and he caught some largemouth targeting uh, bluegill beds. Now, the Johnstons have always have targeted largemouth around bluegills a lot post-spawn uh, as well. So, like, that's definitely a thing. There's also the milfoil up north is starting to get pretty good. Um, it's not really, I don't think, all the way topped out yet. It probably is in some places. But if you know where it is and you can find it, it looks beautiful. Um, so uh-huh. that's, I think, going to be a factor. Uh, I got to imagine docks should play. I mean, they didn't really play that much in the Costa or in the tour event. But they should yeah, not play. Really. Uh, maybe they won't, but they should. And then, about this time of year last year, I caught them really good on a spy bait, uh, smallmouth. So I think we'll see that play some. And then I think that if I had to guess, I think the inland sea is going to be a big player in this tournament because it's going to be the farthest oh. along because it'll be the warmest. Um, okay. Again, outside of Thai. Now at Thai, here's some fun facts about Thai. One. The cheese is, like, starting to get pretty good in some areas. Oh, baby. So, you could see a frog bite. Um, but you could also see guys just flip, and you could see that chatterbait, moving bait bite going pretty good, too. Okay. Um, when I was there on Thursday, I caught my biggest fish on a frog and a chatterbait and flipping. So, hmm. all three of those things... <laughs> Uh, so like definitely you've got some variety going on at Thai, uh, which is cool. So anyway, it's going to be a blast. Um, nice. I can dig that. I can dig a little bit of variety. It's the spice of life. So they say, so they say, um, do you want to, uh, pick some, uh, Coast of Challenge dudes? Yes. All right. You got first pick. You chose Brian Thrift, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, now you can't just have the man in a tournament and not pick him. Are you sure? <laughs> um, no, go. He'll probably zero now, but I'll take him. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing. He always catches limits in tour competition, but coast to competition, you can't count on that. <laughs> you know, that's uh, that's tough. Tough stuff. Um, I am going to take... I'm going to take Tom LeVictory Jr. Ooh, um, all right. LeVictory, a few years ago, uh, won a Costa on Champlain, running south. He's one of your better south-end anglers in the field. Um, I, can, I can dig that. So, I don't know how that will shake out. There's a lot of really good anglers in this field, uh, so... Definitely, and there really are. Like, it's kind of a southeastern division esque field uh, right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Brad Knight's in this tournament. I saw that. Um, I think for my second pick, I'm gonna go with. You know, actually, I think I'm gonna go with JJ Judd. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Like, dude won a BFL there last year. Uh, he's always done kind of well. Like, you and I were talking about, there's guys on Champlain that seem to do well in the spring. Like He kind of catches them all the time. Yeah. And I think uh, I think that could be kind of clutch for the time frame of this event. So, I got kind of a J.J. Judd vibe. Uh, I'm rocking with it. Okay. You know, I have... Uh... I really want to pick all people from Vermont and just see how and just see how this shakes out. <laughs> I don't know that that's necessarily a smart decision. There was somebody else who I was looking at who I was thinking of. Um, man, the Johnstons not fishing this event is really annoying. I would love. Oh, dude, Cooper Gallant's fishing this derby. Yeah, that's fun. Oh man, I mean, there I'm really hyped. are a lot of. I'm gonna. I'm hyped. I'm gonna get to see him. He's cool. I like Cooper. Whoop. um i don't really know where that's what that's from um but it's a thing he puts on on instagram a lot so Uh, let's see let's see here let's see it's tough man it's tough uh i know brother i know there was somebody who else who i was like oh i'm totally picking them oh i know i'm picking kurt mitchell Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, North or south, you know, give me some Kurt Mitchell. Uh, So, Kyle, I like what he was doing at the tour because I think... He was fishing uh, up north, surprisingly. Yeah, Uh, it was surprising. So I feel like, like you said, north or south, you know, Kurt Mitchell could could be a real solid pick. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, I'm gonna go... Dude, this is tough. Uh, and there's a lot of like big name dudes, and then there's also just a lot of like dudes. A lot of dudes. Like, part of me kind of wants to pick Scott Dobson. Oh, uh, Scott's fishing this one. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Unless there's hey. another Scott Dobson from Clarkson, Michigan. I'm pretty sure that's the one. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Hey, here's the thing about Dobson. 
First of all, I think he's coming off a top five in a BFL. Um, second, he is a killer smallmouth angler. And, like, we were talking about how maybe Jimmy Kennedy is a guy to watch for if there's someone who's going to catch smallmouth every day and make the top ten. I feel mm-hmm. like Dobson would be a guy to watch, too. Well, and I like that, uh, you know, he's he's done well with smallmouths when he can look at them. But he's also, like, him and that spy bait oh, and that are, jerk like, bait. pretty dialed. Yeah. so And that swim bait. Oh, hey, yeah, can like... I take Scott Dobson? You want to take someone else? <laughs> I think I think I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna roll well not really roll the dice but I'm gonna just kind of go on a stretch and give me some Scott Dobson. Okay, Plus, I figured out who I'm gonna take too. I missed him a lot this year, so this is my way of being like, "You my dude, dude." Me too. I'm gonna take another guy who's my dude, and it's Cody Hunter. Oh yeah, the spy what, bait man? king. Dude, and if there's a time for him to turn what's been a pretty dismal season around, it is. I think it's rolling into stop number a one. Northern the division, Northern AOY, division. Yeah. starting with a top five at Lake Champlain, baby. He's the new Felix, maybe Felix 2.0, who likes muskies, <laughs> who can catch the crap out of really big muskies. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah, do you want to like pick uh, honorable mentions for this one? Because like I'm yeah. down to do that. Heck yeah. All right. Who do you got? I'm going to give my honorable mention to one of my dudes, Justin Atkins. All right. He's a good he's good. That's a good choice. Um I think I'm going to go with I want to Brian LaBelle won the Open last year, right? I believe so. I'm going to put him I'm do I'm going to do him. Stout uh, cause I mean, here's the thing. He won that open last year fishing, like almost exactly how you should fish this one. I think if you wanted to fish up North. So if we end up in a tie situation, uh, I think he could be a good dude to have probably Justin oh, yeah. Atkins could too. Yeah. We'll probably, they'll probably both one, two or something. Yeah. Like I mean, that. assuming Justin Atkins weighs in the appropriate number of fish and knows how to <laughs> operate his live well. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, I wonder, his live wells probably work. I mean, theoretically, who would even know? Um, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, all right, I just had to check to make sure I spelled LaBelle's uh, name correctly. Actually, both of them, because I spelled it like Brian, uh, like uh, Thrift, but... Oh. And I don't know... H-I-J-K-L... <laughs> Oh, that's co-anglers. Um, Why don't you just command F it? Well, I thought about that, and I've kind of gone too far not doing that now. So I get it. You're committed. It is spelled like thrift, so even uh, even better for him. Yeah, that helps the cause. That's not a bad thing for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, Kyle, this has been a great tournament so far. Cannot wait to get it started. Um, day one, I think I'm going to put... We're going to have two photographers out there, me and Charles. Um, I'm going to do up north. Charles is going to do down south. We're going to split the force right on the first day, see where it takes us. I love it. Assuming the wind is all right. I would not be surprised if this weather turns out, you know, if the the forecast holds, it would not shock me if this is a two-day event. Um, And if it is a two-day event... That could bode really well for someone at Ty, because you'd make a rundown 
in good conditions two days and not have to try to do it in horrible conditions one of the days. Right, right. Um, but it may not be. Uh, it may be a three-day event, and somebody may beat their brains in on day two. <laughs> or yeah. the weather might just be beautiful the whole time. Who knows? We'll find out. Kyle, you want to hit me some, with some BFLs? Yeah. Uh, there were three this past weekend. Uh, mostly stuff up north, which is kind of fun. <laughs> Uh, we had, uh, as you mentioned, Brian Schmidt won the uh, Northeast Division event on uh, Champlain. It was presented by Navionics. Um, he had 1910, like you said, smallmouth. It's basically a spook and a missile baits, the 48 stickworm, uh, was how he caught most of his. He was uh, Nico rigging it. So, the 48, that is, not the spook. You could Nico rig a spook if you wanted to. That'd be, that'd be kind of fun. Maybe we'll have to do something on just crazy gotta, ways to rig. Just got to wait the tail, man. Yeah. Bingo, bingo. Uh, but, yeah, so there we go. Champlain, boom. Uh, I'm going to get, we'll do the Piedmont Division event next. Uh, Brian Elrod won that one. 16 pounds, 10 ounces. Uh, that was on the James River. Uh, basically, all Elrod did was run the tide. Uh, he wanted low water and was flipping wood. That was pretty much it. Uh, flipped a zoom speed craw. That's all you needed to do. Like four feet of water. Boom, ba boom, boom, boom. And caught a handful of fish. Won it by like a pound. Notably, fished on the James, not the Chickahominy. Yes. Good point. Also, the weights were like... Not great. Eh? Yeah. yeah. Dude, here's the thing about the James, in my opinion. Obviously, it's got some huge fish in it. But, like, as far as just quantity of medium-sized fish, I don't think it touches the Potomac. Like, I think it's a way oh, yeah. more finicky yeah, yeah, yeah. river system to fish. Like, if you have 18 or 19 on the James, you probably caught, like, a 7 or an 8-pounder. Yeah, as opposed to, like, a whole bunch of the same size fish which at the yeah. potomac is probably what you did yep and uh big bass on the pro side was seven three so that yeah. kind of helps <laughs> that doesn't ever happen on the on the uh, potomac <laughs> guys catch like a five and a half there it's like oh i might get big bass yeah yeah <laughs> which i mean uh, i guess to each your own right like the uh oh yeah hey cricket how's it going buddy you can come in cricket came in <laughs> oh, one second <laughs> is that a cat all right Cricket, you can stay in here. Just lie down. Um, Cat, dog, what are we working with? Uh, we're working with a dog. Cricket is uh, very old. Um, he's like 13. He's real hobbly. He recently had some kind of stroke or something while we were at Champlain. Oh. Uh, to where he was he was walking in like circles a lot and falling over. Like he lost his balance. And now his head is just really crooked. But he can walk around mm-hmm. again. Well... He can walk around okay again. He's pretty mm-hmm. old. Well, uh, good for him powering through. Oh, yeah. He's he's a good dog. Good boy, Cricket. Well, uh, finally, the last BFL over the weekend was the Michigan Division event on Lake St. Clair. Oh, yeah. Presented by Navionics. Uh, Dan Middlestat won it with 22 pounds, 7 ounces. Uh, he basically fished, like, pretty deep, like 21 feet of water, which I can't imagine there's really much... <laughs> deeper water than that on St. Clair. 
but he he caught a good one on an Alabama rig, a Shane's Bates umbrella rig, which is a pretty sweet umbrella rig. It's. I wonder if he read uh, that story on FLWfishing.com last fall <laughs> yeah, about how that's, that's exactly what I use. thought of. <laughs> uh, he uh, he put some Strike King Rage swimmers on it, uh, and then the rest of his fish came on a uh, Mismo baby tube with a quarter ounce head. So that got pretty uh, standard issue pretty quick. The A rig I like curveball. Yeah. Uh, the tube I was like ah. Gotcha. Makes sense. But yeah, Scott Dobson came in third. Uh, he had 20 pounds, 13 ounces. Uh, 19.6 took 10th. So, pretty good Whoa. fishing still. The co-angler had 23.5 Whoa. that one. Yeah. That is a very classic St. Clair situation, though. Yes. Yes, um, it is. Yeah. And that was it. Interestingly, that's our, uh, that's our Costa roundup. Dude, 10th place on a co-angler side only weighed four fish. Four for 17-1. What is the math yeah. on that? <laughs> Good ones. <laughs> Let's see. 1-7 divided by four. Four and a quarter average. That's pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Um... Was that it for BFLs? That's it, man. Just a, just a light weekend. Cool. Well, uh, I guess that'll about do it then, I would say. Uh, oh, I should mention, uh, Drew and I fished a Tiny Boats in Minnesota tournament over the weekend. How'd it go? Uh, we got, I think we got fifth. There was like 13 or 14 boats, uh, but it was kind of fun. Like, A, being in a small uh, Drew's 14-footer. Uh, but man, it, uh, we caught him really good. That zoom frog. I uh, caught my first fish on that on Thursday. I caught dude, they two were on it. Chewing it. Chewing yeah. it. We probably could have, we definitely had some, op- like Drew lost a good one close to the boat. It just kind of jumped and threw the, through the hook on that zoom frog, which, uh, I mean, hashtag I swing him. What is he doing? Let him jump. Well, it was like plowing, 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 and it had some milfoil on the front of the frog, like a good clump. And then it kind of gave like one, like, you know, when they start doing that slow, like, I'm thinking about jumping. Oh, and I he's hate winding, that. He's winding, winding, winding. And then, yeah, it was like one little flick and it popped off. I suppose the weight of the milfoil probably helped. Uh, and then I caught like a, like a three and a quarter in a mat and then threw back in like same blowhole basically and had another one. Like about the same size, maybe a little bigger. Uh, basically, like come all the way out of the water and try to shark it, but missed it, and then never ate it again. And I quickly went in there and tried punching around and caught like a two pounder. Definitely not the same fish that tried to eat the frog. Well, and then that was it. So, so we had some opportunities. Did you but it was fish, fun. Did you fish that zoom frog in mats? Uh, no, that okay. was like between docks on the clumps of milfoil, like super yeah. shallow. The lake's really dirty. And they were, like, almost back out of the water shallow. Yeah, I was throwing it on the south end of Champlain pretty shallow around that more scattered stuff like eelgrass. Yeah. That's where I really like it. Like, it's a – if you think about throwing a buzzbait, it'd be a good place to throw that zoom frog. Yeah, I think it could be really a good frog. I want Dude, I, I'm a big fan of them. Um, what – you use a 6 eye? you said? Yes. Yep, a 6 eye yeah. EWG. I had – 
three bites on that frog, and I landed all three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the nice thing is you can't, like, expose it, you know, like, cover the hook point, because that plastic is so, like, durable. Yeah. Like, it's really hard to... It's not like a Lazteki, but kind of. It's a whole different... It's a different kind of plastic. Yeah, but the hook lays real flush on the top of the frog, so it's exposed, so you don't really have to... Uh, you know, you're not really driving it through plastic or anything. Also, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I feel like when, like, the fact that that one got off of Drew's rod, either Drew is really terrible. Yeah, probably that. Or, yeah, it was just a, you know, a weird circumstance. But I feel like when I get one to bite it, like, the thing's coming in the boat. Yeah, I, I definitely noticed that. I, I noticed also that it tends to run uh, cur- the right side up pretty consistently. Yeah. For me, yeah. which I was surprised about, like a horny toad, for me, I feel like he's always running upside down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I, I, I'm intrigued by that frog for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I want to throw it a little more when I get out to the Mississippi and, you know, maybe someday this week or whatever. I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm thinking I'm going to a place with some pads this afternoon. And uh, Ooh, yeah. I'm going to investigate it a little bit more. I've been told it's ultra juicy. So, oh, yeah. Uh, it's uh, we'll it's got like a plopper sound to it, too, which is kind of cool. That's what I like about it. That's yeah. what I like about it. That's what I was going for. I was like, I mean, you know what? they're like Here's 10 bucks for three frogs, but you can't destroy them unless a pike nips the tail off, which I've had happen a couple oh. times. Thankfully, I haven't had that happen yet. Um, but, man, I did get some explosive pike strikes uh and bowfin <laughs> strikes on champlain the last uh Ooh, the last fan. time now we're talking dude one thing i forget about the south end of champlain is how much it destroys stuff like yeah. there's you catch so many fish down there even when you're not catching good ones you're catching like pound and a halfers and oh. they all come in with milfoil or scum on them the water's dirty uh you've got pickerel literally when i fished i caught pickerel pike and bowfin so and a catfish i caught every right. possible slimy and toothy critter <laughs> um it's like it's just gonna be a mess and you just kind of have to yeah. revel in it and be like this mm-hmm. is great i'm catching fish i love this lake but <laughs> it is like it's gonna be messy and i i like that about it yeah but i yeah, forgot I that about because the north end is actually like it's clean water. It's like sometimes you catch pike, but mostly it's smallmouth and largemouth. You know, it's it's a whole different thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Even the milfoil up north when you, you know, bring it in the boat or whatever, it's like nice and crisp and beautiful. And the milfoil down south, some of it's nice and crisp, and some of it's like the most disgusting looking stuff ever, and it's got slime <laughs> all over it, and also there's bass living in it. Right. Um, but yeah, man, this was a good show for sure. Yeah, I dig it. Uh. We've got an email address, right? We absolutely do. Uh, questions, comments, concerns, holler at us, podcast at flwfishing.com. Particularly if you know anything about the longevity of brushless motors and power tools. I want to hear about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely give us the juice on that. Um, I'll happy... ask my buddy Russ tomorrow when we're on our way uh, north because he's a super manly dude that's like... Knows about that kind of stuff. kind of dude. Yeah, like fixes dredges and big cat dozers and stuff so i bet he probably has an opinion yeah i am definitely curious to see if that's a thing that is like actually this is one internet comment or actually 
you know, we're breaking new ground. Because I feel yeah, like it could yeah. be both, and I am interested. For sure. Um, let's see. Other than that, uh, FLW is on the internet, all sorts of places. It's easy to find, uh, to follow along. Um, day 5 with Casey Scanlon and Kyle Wood is up. Um, it was another situation where the pro forgets to fish when they're on Champlain. <laughs> um, and also just maybe when they're around Kyle. Because it happens. Also, another situation of me completely fanning the first bite of the day. Um, one situation which has not previously been was that I outfished both of you guys. Uh, <laughs> that was a great day five by Jody standards. Yeah, you were you were snatching on them. They wanted that little stick worm. Yeah, no, they were all about it. But then I lost it, and I had to switch to the beaver that I found in my cup holder. Yeah, <laughs> hey man, you gotta gotta make uh, lemonade out of apples. Yeah, basically just that I could. Was that Sue's? That was nice. She's, she's all frisky. I think she knows we're wrapping it up, and that she thinks maybe we're gonna go do stuff, but we're not, Sue's. Oh well, don't break my heart like that. <laughs> Oh, but anyhow. Well, I might go fishing. She, she'll she she'll hang out here. Oh, she doesn't go fishing? No, she loves to try to retrieve all things casted out. Ah. Uh, you know, the first time I went fishing with Nessie, she wanted to do that. She uh, cannot abide by a frog on the surface. <laughs> yeah. It's like... Topwaters are a, a big no-no. Yeah, it's but, like, uh, oh no. <laughs> I want she that. She has blatant disregard for just, like, rods on the deck, too. Oh, yeah, that's annoying. Uh, like, she'll just lay down, like, on, on them. them. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, hey, man, A, doesn't that, there's no way that feels good, and B, uh, easy oh. on the stuff, you know? <laughs> All righty. Uh, well, anyway, Kyle, you're on Instagram. It's Kyle Lumber. I'm there. It's Jody Blanco. Um, mm-hmm. We mentioned FLWs everywhere, so I would say thanks for listening. Yeah, I think uh, with that, everyone enjoy your week. Uh, we'll talk to you later. See you.